Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. Good everyone. It is episode 118. It is the 18th of July. We're now coming out on Thursday mornings for you. So we're just changing around the day again. This one seems to be something that we can really get behind. It's when people listen to the show. So mm. Thursday mornings are now... Huge show for you guys coming up. We are going to be talking to one of the IPA's campus coordinators who is down in Melbourne, Boston Edwards. We're also going to be talking to Associate Editor at Reason, really awesome website, Robbie Suave. We're going to be talking to Boston about, uh, we're storming Area 51 with Boston, I think was the start of the end of the interview. We're also going to get to know him a bit more. We're going to make a pitch. And then over at Robbie Suave, uh, we're going to be talking to him just about a lot of the confected outrage topics that he sees, his new book on where young people are at in the age of Trump. Awesome interview. So we've got a whole bunch of other stuff we're going to be talking to you guys about uh voice to parliament facebook's fine boris johnson we've got the heroes and villains segment coming up it's going to be a really fun show uh any topics you're looking forward to pete well i'm looking forward to talking right at the end of the show about the cricket world cup i've got a few thoughts on that yep um, so so stay tuned for that and also in my villains and heroes i've got a couple of old environmental battle axes uh, going at it, so I'm looking right. forward to talking through that. Okay, sweet. Looking forward to that. Uh, we should start off with voice to parliament, mm. which is the main topic in Australian po- politics. Yeah. Uh, you know, last week, two weeks, the latest being so Ken Wyatt put forward that there was going to be a voice to parliament, and we, you know, we, when we talk about in, uh, Indigenous recognition in the constitution. We don't still quite know what the government wants it to look like, but the latest one that got floated was the uh, voice to parliament. Scott Morrison comes out, he says, I'd veto that if it was put in front of me. Like, it's just not going to happen under a government that I lead. So we still don't know what it's going to look like, Pete, but uh, it does seem to be that we've gone away from this idea. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream So, Pete, what's your take on voice department? Well, I think, look, everyone knows that quote from Martin Luther King. It's very famous. It resonates with pretty much everyone. Uh, But you don't have to go to Martin Luther King to find that. Faith Bandler was an activist for the Yes Vote in 1967. She said, the eyes of the world are on Australia. They're waiting to see whether or not the white Australian will take with him as one people the dark Australian, right? That's old-fashioned language, obviously. But we've asked ourselves this question before. We've already asked ourselves... Is Australia one country or are Indigenous people separate to us? And it's the most unanimous response we've ever given ourselves as a country. Over 90% of people, I think, said, you know, yeah, we, we are one country. And I understand why people might want a different answer this time around. I get that, you know, every Australian should be... Yeah, and sorry, just to go to it, because, like, the fact that it was just so supported is surprising when you think about mm. how many referendums just completely fail. I mean, they've got a very low success rate, but this one was just out of the water. Uh, it was widely supported. It was unbelievable. And and I get why people are upset by, you know, the poverty people live within this country is a disgrace, and there shouldn't yeah. be anyone in Australia that lives like that. And Absolutely. I get that there's racism, and I get that there's been historical ills done to these people, but this is not the right answer. Yeah, and I guess, like, to um, throw my sense into it, which is... You know, it echoes what you're saying, but I, I also think it's weird that like a, a voice to parliament sort of implies that this is the Aboriginal perspective on an issue. Mm. Like if it's like because it would talk to anything, it would be like this is the Aboriginal perspective on income tax, and this is the Aboriginal yeah. perspective on national security, and this is the Aboriginal perspective on these other things. Whereas like we're all individuals, and someone's skin color shouldn't surely isn't the determining factor on how someone's going to think about something politically. I mean, that's the most like 1930s way of thinking about something that I've heard. Exactly, it absolutely denies the diversity within Indigenous people on, on any, any given issue, and it says that we are separate. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, and I guess we'll move on to another story, which is uh, Boris Johnson and the latest with Brexit. Yeah. So, Pete, what did what did you say? Well, you know how I love Brexit, James. You do. You're Australia's foremost mind, Australia's <laughs> foremost uh, leading correspondent on the issue of Brexit. I don't know about that. Anyway, the new British PM will be selected next week, and that's a big deal, James, yep. because England's a big country, and also they're it trying is. to navigate uh, Brexit. Boris Johnson is widely expected to beat his colleague Jeremy Hunt. Yeah, I checked uh, Sportsbet this morning. He's at a dollar four, which is uh, pretty good. You know, he's uh, pretty much locked in. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was checking Sportsbet for work. Sure, mate. <laughs> um, okay, so now, Very James, right. I know you've got some views on Boris Johnson. I've got two questions for you. The first one is on a scale of zero to ten. Mm-hmm. How much do you care about Boris Johnson? 10 means you have a strong opinion either way or zero means you don't care? Uh, well, tough. Like uh, Boris Johnson, the man, probably like two or three. Okay. <laughs> you know, especially some of the stuff that's coming out of the papers. Like yeah. I genuinely don't care. But obviously, like when I think about 
Britain's political future, like that's very important. So eight or nine. So Boris Johnson now, two or three in a week's time, maybe eight or nine. Okay. You played that pretty straight. Fair enough. Sky News in Britain revealed this week that Boris Johnson plans to suspend Parliament. Okay. Uh, to get a no, no deal Brexit if he becomes Prime Minister. Now, he's going to schedule a Queen's speech to, mar- to mark the start of a new parliamentary session in early November. Yeah. Now, Parliament is usually prorogued, which I guess means delayed, but is a pretty, pretty posh word, uh, for between one and two weeks ahead of a Queen's speech, uh, meaning MPs would in fact be unavailable to stop a no deal Brexit before uh, October 31. How stiff is the Queen? Every time I want something done, can you just punch out a speech? Yeah, yeah. I just like the idea, like, is there a more British sentence in the world hmm. than Boris Johnson will be using the Queen's speech as a political football to secure a no-deal Brexit? Yeah. Like, the Queen's speech is the political play thing. That's wild. It's, it, it is. And, you know, I mean, I, I like democracy, but it would be good to see Brexit go through. What's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, hopefully this does see Brexit go through. Again, like, I just love the idea of the Queen's speech being the reason that it got through. Hmm. Uh, I don't think there is going to be a deal that is going to satisfy anyone. So I think in that stance, you only can have a no deal. Like, that's the only way that it's actually going to get up. Yep. Like, do you agree? Well, yeah. I mean, look, they've had a few cracks at it. They haven't been able to do it. Uh, the people didn't vote for a soft Brexit. A few cracks at it. It's probably like selling it a bit short. <laughs> just, you know, five hundred. We threw out three, didn't really get a vibe of the room. So we thought, you know what, let's just abandon it. Yeah, yeah, no, you're exactly right. They have tried. They haven't been able to do it. I don't really trust Boris because I think he's a bit of a chameleon, but let's yeah. see what happens. Yes. Uh, that's a pretty good one. All right. So, and I guess the third story that I want to talk about at the start before we go to the heroes and villains segment. Uh, so the US Federal Trade Commission has approved a roughly $5 billion US, which is $7.2 billion in Australia, uh, to Facebook over the Cambridge Analytica stuff. So to give people a background, if they need a refresher, uh, apparently your aunt wanting to play Farmville got Trump elected, was basically the idea. What is Farmville? (laughs) Okay. All right. So I'll abandon the Farmville thing. But anyway, uh, Cambridge Analytica was a company that uh, used people's Facebook data to sell it to other uh, companies and stuff, one of them being the Trump campaign. So the Trump campaign was using people's Facebook data to determine how it was going to structure its campaign. Uh, and that got eventually shortened into Cambridge Analytica got Trump elected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people started freaking out. So it wasn't and the Russians? It wasn't the Russians. And I'd, to be honest, I don't think it was Cambridge Analytica either. But that is where the media landscape got. So now the US government is uh, going to find them $5 billion, which sounds like a lot. Apparently, it's only like 39 days of business for Facebook. <laughs> But, uh, Parking for. Yeah. So uh, they're going to find them a whole lot of money to punish them for the Cambridge Analytica stuff. Uh, and like, I'm going to come to this back to this later in the show, but it's like if the government's worried about people who mishandle other people's private information, yep. I will remind you that you are the government. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you're not exactly speaking from such a great uh, place. But uh, it's interesting. And then the other side of it is Facebook's new cryptocurrency, Libra, yes. is also going to be brought up to uh, the Congress for like a review. Like they just need to figure out what Facebook's doing with mm. the cryptocurrency. And when we talked about Facebook's Libra on the show, Pete, I was saying like, this is a thing that's going to kill us all, which I still do. Uh, <laughs> Facebook being able to control people's wallets might be the death of us all. But the one thing that would be worse is the government being able to control it. Like, if the government can control Facebook's Libra, that's way worse than Facebook being able to control Libra. Well, yeah, I mean, you and I have different views on this, and and the government already controls currency and money and stuff like that. And that that was what struck my... That's what I noticed. That's what's going on at the moment in the US, this uh, Senate committee hearing, Senate banking committee in the US, and they've got people like Senator Sherrod Brown saying that Facebook has shown through scandal after scandal that it doesn't deserve our trust. Yeah. It's like, oh... But the government, government does. does. It's like, give me a spell. If you don't trust Facebook, you don't have to use it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think the com- competition in the currency market is really good. Yep. And uh, as I said, I like Libra. You don't. That's why. That's what. That's why this, stuff space, like that that's why this podcast works. Yeah, it's <laughs> those these, simple disagreements. It's these, you know, these wide ideological chasm that, that we have together that uh, that keeps it going. All right, should we move on to heroes and villains? Yeah, we should. So obviously, we'll be keeping track of like what's going to happen with that congressional stuff, and when yep. it, uh, news does break, we'll bring it to you. All right, let's do heroes and villains because everyone loved this segment last week. So Pete, set us up. Like, what is the hero of the week? Oh, well, that's a really good new segment, and it went really yep. well last week. So we've done it. So it's gone into a second week. Yeah, heroes and villains. Our award. We're gonna, you know. The, uh, Hero and the villain of each week, our Hero Award is called the Grunt the Pig Freedom Award because of this. He's used to hogging the pavement, but now Grunt the Pig has to sniff out a new walking track. 
Okay, so that pig is going to save us all. If Facebook's coin is going to destroy us all, that pig is going to save us. That little snort at the end was the snort of freedom. Yes. Okay, so Grunt the Pig is a Wangaratta pig that was fined specifically $806 by the local council for illegally walking on council lands, whatever yeah. that means. Did we ever find out what the six was, like 806 uh, I think that was just the administration fee right, or, fair or enough. CPI yep. or something. All right, like let's that. keep going. Anyway, so that's what we're doing. Um, it's for commitment to freedom. I'm going to give you my... No, you give me, you give me your nomination. Okay, so this every week is going to be just someone we've seen around the world uh, that we think has stood up for freedom and we want to give them the Grant the Pig Freedom Award. Okay. So, cool. All right. Uh, so, my suggestion this week, uh, my nomination, not suggestion, this should be the nominee and it should win. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. Okay. So, Ooh, that's good. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, people might remember, she's been copying it online a fair bit recently for a few casting choices. She played a uh, Asian character in Ghost in the Shell and she copped it because she's not Asian. Uh, then she withdrew from a another film because the internet didn't like that she was going to be playing a transgender man when she's a cisgender woman. Uh, she, she had an interview with As If magazine and she says, uh, you know, as an actor, I should be allowed to play any person or any tree or any animal because that is my job and the requirements of my job. What an outrageous thought. What an outrageous thought that someone should be paid to act as something they're not. <laughs> as I've said, like you basically have biopics at that point. If no one, if no actor can like choose act roles that they aren't, yeah. we have biopics where they're in it. So yeah. say goodbye to anyone that's dead. It's literally the job of an actor. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's now sim- backed off it somewhat. She said Ooh. that uh, her first comment uh, was like, you know, that the comments were taken out of context. Mm-hmm. But because I think the first comment is what she actually thinks and the second comment is what the agent has said, don't say that. You say this now. Yeah. I'm still going to give her the Freedom Award of the Week. As a hopeful encouragement to go back to the first thing that she said. Well, that's going to be very difficult to beat. But if anyone can beat it, that's Bob Brown. Okay. Former Greens leader and lifelong environmentalist Bob Usually Brown. Usually a hero of the week for freedom. Yeah, Bob yeah. Brown, not, not, uh, not a stranger to being seen in by the IPA as a hero for freedom. I can see this guy winning it every second week. Anyway... Lifelong environmentalist has come out against a wind farm in Tasmania. He criticised a $1.6 billion proposal to build one of the biggest wind farms in the world. He says the transmission lines are planned to cut through wild and scenic Tasmania, including the northeast Tarkeen forests. He cited concerns about the size of the turbines, the impacts on the views and dangers posed to birds, which does happen. Birds always get killed by wind farms. Uh, and in an interesting analogy, he said, uh, like poker machines, everything has its limits. Very good. <laughs> they, do have po- they, they do have limits. Dr. Brown then went on to say coal is still the cheapest form of electricity and we should build more coal mines so we can bring electricity to the world's poor. No, I actually just made that up. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> no, I made that up. Uh, so, well, I'll tell you one thing he did say. Uh, he used to say that investigating complaints about noise from wind farms was like investigating alien abductions for levels of absurdity, but apparently not so much anymore. Okay. Yeah. Well, so that's for coming out against wind farms, Bob Brown gets my... Nomination. All right, so we now need to pick who's going to be the show's official nominee of the week, and yep. then at the end of the year we'll figure out what we're going to do. But I, I've got to give it to Scarlett. Wait, I, I, I'm going to, I just give up. There's no, Scarlett Johansson is going to be tough to beat Bob yep. Brown. You, for you know, you've done one thing. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, <laughs> in a sea of things, he's done badly. <laughs> he's yeah, done yeah. one good thing. I put my hands up. I can't take. I can't beat Scarlett. Okay, cool. So we now chuck it to villains of the week. Now, uh, so villain of the week, the award is the Asda Award. A- Asda Award for tyranny. Asda Award for tyranny. So, mm-hmm. if people don't know that story, basically, Asda was the supermarket chain in the UK yep. that fired a uh, like meet and greet guy at the front of a store yep. that fired him because he shared a Billy Connolly video on Facebook. They first made him apologise for sharing it because you know uh, it was a bit controversial. That edge right. lord Billy. Connolly uh, first off, they made him apologise and they said, actually, we're going to fire you anyway. That's right. He's a disabled grandfather. He's a disabled grandfather. Good point. Um, so this is for people that stand up for, ty- for tyranny yeah. and we're going to make fun of them and yell at them. Uh, so, Pete, take us away with yours. Well, as I said at the start, I wanted to talk about a couple of old environmental battle axes and I've got another good one for you. Yep. David Attenborough, 93-year-old British broadcaster and natural historian, very famous uh, and very, very uh, influential. If you don't know who David Attenborough is, you've never been hungover in your life. <laughs> well, you watch that when you're hungover. Yeah, Planet Earth is just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I have not tried that, James. Unfortunately, I don't drink, so I'm going to find oh, yeah. it. Um, okay, what he said was those in power can influence how many flights people take, and that is economically. You can adjust the price to the restrictions you want, he said. I don't know how you restrict it other than economically. So he's in staying increasing the, the cost of flights. Yeah. He goes on to say, I've travelled by air only too frequently in the last six months in order to make boy. programs. Some of them programs about the very subject that we're talking about, which I dare say is a paradox. Yes, David, it is a paradox. 
Um, so Can I just put that in regular person speak? So when okay. he says we need to up the cost of um, mm. air travel, mm. I reckon in regular person speak, what he's saying is poor people travel too much. Yeah. Like that's what I hear when I when he says that. Stop going to Bali, you peasants. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Only I may travel yeah. and you lowlies, you stay where you are. Exactly right. Planet. I also like... Uh, if David Attenborough is worried about aerial flights that interfere with wildlife, I've got bad news for some of like planet Earth's film crews. Exactly. Because we had that story a few weeks ago that what he what he presented to us as a war's death through uh, global warming turned out to be war's death through holy crap! Here comes a helicopter. We got to get out of here from a David Attenborough film crew. So I, I, I just flying. I reckon find another spokesman for this cause. I reckon that's a pretty strong nomination. Yeah. All right. That's a pretty good one. So for my one, I. I you know, tyranny might be strong, but the 007 producers have really gra- uh, got my goat this week. So basically news around the world that was that uh, Lashana Lynch, who's a black actress, was going to be the new James Bond. But okay. it, it's a bit fake news. So what actually is the story is apparently in the new film, it starts out with Bond being retired. And then we cut to, you know, MI6 headquarters and M says, get me 007. And then a black woman walks in. That was good. Oh, so thank you. Yeah. And then a black woman walks in. Everyone's supposed to be like, oh, wow, diversity. Um, yeah. Look, uh so that's actually what's going to happen. And they're my villains, not for casting Lashana Lynch and not for having a black woman as James Bond. I hope she does a good well. I hope she does really well. Mm-hmm. I hope it's a great movie. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's always o- already rumors that it might be like a spin off uh, franchise for her. Hopefully, that's awesome as well. But it's like the reason they're my villains is because this, like, it, it's just everything wrong with like this corporate culture of just. Um, you know, pandering to these like left-wing causes. They'll mm. be like, and to think that the other side are too stupid to realize what's yeah. going on. It's like, oh, we're going to have a black 007 for one scene, thinking that's going to satisfy that side, but it's really going to be James Bond just to think it like to satisfy all that. But I like my James Bond the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so for this like vapid, and we see it with Pride Week, we see it with Nike on your rant last week, for this like vapid, insincere approach to corporate social good, that's why the 007 producers are my villain of the week. Yeah, but to be honest, I've got to say David Annenberg for me, I think that that wins it for I this week. I was going to say, I was on pretty strong ground with David Attenborough. So yeah. We should All right. So that's Scarlett Johansson, David yep. Attenborough. We've got to figure out what we're going to do at the end of the year for the eventual winners. Yep. All right. Cool. Uh, so that is it for the start of the show. We're now going to go to our interview with uh, campus coordinator, Boston Edwards. King of the Gong. Uh, yeah. And then we're going to be talking to Robbie Suave. Uh, so, yeah, let's go to that. Do it. All right, here we are with Boston Edwards at IPA Generation Liberty Campus Coordinator in Melbourne. Of course, for the IPA Academy over the last few days, we decided to let him hang around the office a fair bit over the last three days, help us out with one topic in particular. But I'll say, g'day, how are you going, Boston? I'm good, thanks. How are you too? Great to have you here, mate. Of course, Boston's Thank from the University of Wollongong, and they call him the King of the Gong. They do. Uh, don't mind the weather here in Australia too. Boston, Boston. demanded we in only Australia. refer to it. I mean, what's it called? Melbourne. That's right. Glad, glad Boston's Wollongong's not that far away, Pete. <laughs> okay. I've never heard of it, but anyway. So, all right, let's do it. Now, you've spent much of the last two days uh, looking at memes about Area 51. Why yes. don't you uh, tell our listeners about that? Okay, so... First off, what is the storming Area 51 thing? Okay, so this guy in California, he's a 20-year-old, he created an event last month mm-hmm. about storming Area 51 and he wrote as the event description, we will all meet up at the Area 51 Alien Centre tourist attraction and coordinate our entry. If we Naruto run, we can move quicker than their bullets. Let's see them aliens. What is Naruto running? Because I've seen this page and I've seen people talk about it. I don't know what a Naruto run is. I actually know what Naruto running is. This is amazing. This is Boston, you're here for history. This is the first time <laughs> that Peter's got a pop culture reference that I didn't. What is a Naruto run? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Boston, but it's when it's from Japanese uh, animation. Yep. When an ostrich like runs really fast. That's no. Naruto. Oh, it's, it's so close. I'm, I'm so sorry, <laughs> Boston. Ostrich. Uh, don't ruin this for me, Boston. That it's was a character. A- Naruto's a character and he runs really fast with his hands at the back. Yeah, so oh, half so like, yeah. Okay, so that's what a Naruto is. So on TV show, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Right, half okay. a point for effort. Half a point half for a effort. Point. Knowing that Naruto was Japanese, I mean, that's pretty hard to <laughs> imagine. That Anyway, uh, so let's talk about it. So how many people are planning to Naruto run to Area 51? I've just that checked right. on Facebook just before and it's 1.4 million wow. people who clicked attend. I checked this morning, it was 1.2. So That's in the one last point, mm. couple of hours, another 200,000 people have said they're doing it. And 1.1 million are interested, including myself. Yep. Okay. If not committing to going? Not committing to going. Okay. Because I, I would be busy. When people click interested on Facebook, I'm always a bit like, are you coming or not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? yeah. I'm interested in the concept of you having a birthday party. Am I going? Maybe not. See what else comes up. <laughs> so what has brought this on? Why, why is everyone talking about this suddenly? Did it just come out of the blue or...? 
Um, I think it came out of the blue. Okay. I was talking to Kurt earlier and he mentioned something about it, but I forget because I didn't listen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it's just taken the world by storm pretty much. It's making a huge impact. Um, we, it's, this is the peak of millennial culture, I believe. Yep. You're not going to witness anything like this. Like the 2020 election next year, it's going to create memes. It's going to yep. produce memes, but not on the scale and not such a unifying force as Area 51. Specifically, before. I think Lil Nas X did an Old Town Road remix this morning talking about Area 51. Did I thought he? there is no more 2019 story in the history of the planet. No, there isn't. Like, <laughs> this is it. That's it. That's it's all it. we can do. Well, what I think it demonstrates is that there is, in the young people particularly, a libertarian instinct. Okay, I was wondering how we were going to like connect this to a political <laughs> point, so I'm glad Pete's got there. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, talk talk us through this libertarian instinct. Well, I mean, they don't trust the government. They want to no. see what secrets they're keeping. You know, They think they can defeat the government. Uh, I think it's a great thing, and I think uh, Boston, this should actually be a pitch for Boston to get funding from the IPA to go and be our Area 51 correspondent. Yes, exactly. We need people on the ground. We need people on the ground. Historic events. In our civilization's history. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And it's going to show that there's that libertarian instinct. But let's be real for a second. Like, how many people do you reckon are actually going to turn up on September 20? Well, I what, looked... Do you, <laughs> I've, I've been reading some... <laughs> <laughs> I've Don't been just me- be like a kilometre off going, that eh, seems like fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's my sister's birthday. <laughs> I've been reading some articles online and apparently all the hotels have been booked around the area. Actually? And as um, flights have been like booked out for around those dates as well. So... I don't know. I'm guessing a few hundred. All right. I I genuinely thought like there'd be forty. Like it's either going to be like there'd be forty people there, and none of them are going to remember sunscreen, and the government's going to have to come out and see like, well, here's some natural water supplies. We've organised buses for you to go back. <laughs> We're going to take back <laughs> or the country. It is a big thing, and this becomes the next Burning Man. Like yeah. this is yeah. like a festival every year. Every year, September twenty. Well, well, the government is ready to protect Area Fifty One, according to one of their spokespeople. The U.S. Air Force always stands ready to protect America and its assets. <laughs> there you go. And there you go. Force. All right, and well, I don't think a Naruto runs going to do the no. U.S. Air Force. No. You can't run quicker than an aeroplane. So uh, that's great. We, we, we've, we've covered Area 51. I think now we should talk a little bit more about Boston himself. Yep. Now, Boston, we know that you're not just the campus coordinator of the University of Wollongong for Generation Liberty Program, but you love Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. You love the monarchy. Yeah. And you love ABBA. Yeah, what a combo. A very eclectic mix right there. Um, Margaret Thatcher, like, she's just amazing. Like, her backstory is something that's pretty inspirational. She came from mm-hmm. that's true, yeah. a background at... Like a grocer's daughter. A grocer's daughter. Yeah. It's not a part of the Tory establishment. It wasn't uh, proper. It wasn't a comfortable upbringing that a lot of Tory politicians, conservative politicians had back then. And she was just goal-driven and she had her mind set on something. She went for it. And I think that was pretty amazing. And, yeah... Do you think that she was an ABBA fan as well? Oh, I'd hope so. Apparently when ABBA, this is sort of a weird connection, when ABBA came to Australia in 1972, or I can't remember the exact year, apparently when they did the concert, 1977, they had a massive tour. And when they were in Melbourne, the Prime Minister at the time, Malcolm Fraser, came along with his family to watch ABBA, <laughs> which is a pretty cool... As a man of the people, I guess. He was a man of the people. Yes. That is an interesting story, Boston. I hadn't heard that before. That's terrific stuff. Do you find Generation Liberty is a little bit of a home for you on campus and, and online and stuff like that? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I talk to people on campus all the time about the beliefs of liberty and like the ideas of liberty and of free markets. And it's just great to feel grounded with other people and to be able to actually debate even... Like, the, we may both believe in liberty, you and us three, but we might also disagree on things. And this is a place where we can have those disagreements and we can Let's have, have that them right now. ideas. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Well, speaking of those disagreements, I was at a few days of the IPA Academy that we've had here in Melbourne over the last few days, and there was some pretty uh, robust discussions amongst the scholars. Was that one of the things you liked about the Academy? Yes, there was a few people who I staunchly disagreed with. <laughs> but uh, we, we got along really well and we debated topical issues and it was just a pretty amazing time like it's great to be around like-minded people and would you say you're conservative or libertarian i'd say i'm classical liberal okay that's good bit of both bit of both and i I like that you also say i can disagree with someone but we can still be friends yes which like if you go on twitter for more than five seconds apparently is not a thing that a lot of people believe in Hmm. so how'd you find academy overall 
it was fun. It was very challenging though because I don't know that much about economics or history. So it was educational It was and it was fun. Yeah, cool. And uh, for any of our listeners or watchers who were like, wow, I'd love to hear from Academy. Like, I think we're putting up videos in good time. So, yeah, there would be space for people to also hear what Boston heard. Yeah. Look out for it. Now, one thing that these guys were doing before we came on air was a bit of a warm-up game, which James knows because he's uh, into that improvised theatre. That's how I like to pronounce it. And it was so much fun that we're going to do it again. And the winner of the game, which James will explain in one second. We'll yeah. get a mug, a young okay, so, podcast mug. Yeah, so the thing, all right, so like as Pete says, I do improv and there's like a warm-up exercise you can do in a team before it starts and just to get yourselves in the right mind. But it's not exactly like a competition, but everyone around here is like, who are you going to beat this week? Who are you going to beat this week? It's like, all right. Free market think time. Right, so anyway, <laughs> the game is like, we'll just like start clicking on a beat. So hopefully people can hear like that beat. Mm. And... On the beat, you have to say a word, and then your partner or like in a circle, Pete, you can join. No, I'm the umpire, mate. Uh, This is is between you two. Don't need an umpire, but uh, on a beat, (laughs) and you just got to free associate off that word by the time there's another click, and then we say. Oh, it has to be another click. Okay. Yeah. So like the click word one, word two, then we we say the words together. This is electric. Ready? (laughs) Order. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's a bad start. I'll give you that. It's a bad start. It's a bad start. All right, maybe throw one on me, and then I'll return. Baby. Wham. Baby, Baby we to do do rattle, cot rattle cot, cot to do do. All right, we got it. Did I get it? Okay, so who won? If it's apparently a competition. Well, look, I'm going to call that a tie, and you've already got a match. Yeah, I like that would have probably passed on a Scrabble board. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, just yeah. Going where. That's right. I'm not sure that's a real word, but we will award Boston a mug. Now, which colour? Blue. I'll or have the orange because I actually drank out of this one earlier. So. All, right, that's good. <laughs> All right, yeah, definitely have that one. Yeah, uh, we'll put that there. Uh, that's fantastic stuff. Uh, now, look, I think last week Janet Robertson bought some booze in for her interview, so unfortunately, you haven't done that. That's all right. Yeah, no, I broke that. the tradition already, didn't so I? You had it one week. I did plan to bring passion pop, so <laughs> I had the plan. Maybe just a few UDL cans. Yeah, a bit of yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> a bit of good yeah. fortune. Yeah, the hills hoist in the studio, just yeah. been around, see what happens. <laughs> anyway, Boston, thank you so much for joining us Thanks today. Thanks for having me, uh, and uh, we'll have you on again soon. Thank you. Good. Thanks, mate. All right, thank you too, Boston Edwards, for that interview. So we'll now go to the interview with Robbie Suave from Reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, But before we do, so Pete, uh, do you have any takeaways from that interview? I reckon, look, all that bloke's done for the last two days is look at Area 21 memes. 51. Even 51, but both areas. Anyway. (laughs) And, uh, Area 21 memes not as uh, vibrant for Facebook community at the moment. <laughs> yeah, there's only a couple of people going to that. But, you know, it, it paid off and you all about it. And Maybe I that's where the government should put the A-list because all the heat's going to be on Area 51. If they slide them to 21, no one's going to know. Maybe Boston's one head of a step of the game. Uh, and I think you should put the call out for funding. Any donors out there? Put up. All right, sweet. And we'll now go to the Robbie Suave interview. So, Robbie, if you don't know, is such a uh, awesome writer and he's one of the things that he does that I really like is that he finds these moments where everyone on the internet is outraged about something mm. and then he'll hunt around and go, okay, what's the actual truth here? So a lot of you guys might know him uh, because of when the Covington kids were shown out, you know, the, the picture of the guy smirking at the Native American and everyone's like, how dare this guy? How dare this guy? Robbie was the first guy to go, okay, what actually happened there? So he watched a two hour video about it and discovered, you know, all the truth about what was actually happening. So we talked to him about that. What was the impulse to go find it? And we talked to him about a whole lot of other things. So we'll now go to that. Okay, we're now joined by Robbie Suave, libertarian journalist and associate editor at Reason. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to speak with you. Awesome. So you really, uh, your new book released last month, Panic Attack, Young Radicals in the Age of Trump. Now, what did you find about where young people are at today? Well, many young people are not uh, that different from the way young people have always been. They're interested in getting a good education and then good jobs. But a subset of very radical activists um, have become increasingly influential uh, on college campuses, on social media, in the streets of places like D.C. and New York and Portland. And uh, they, they have different ideas about free speech and due process and some other principles that uh, the, the left and libertarians used to have in, in common, actually. Uh, they're uh, against a lot of those things. I mean, we've seen uh, we've seen demonstrations turn violent. We've seen shutdowns and canceling and 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 social media mobs trying to stop people from saying things that make a, a segment of the activist young left feel uncomfortable. So that's the phenomenon I'm really trying to grapple with in the book to understand uh, where it comes from and and, and why uh, the left and of course the right as well. There's a there's a 
there's a very illiberal trend on the right um, and, and how these two are feeding each other and, uh, and uh, where they came from. That's really interesting. So where, I'm sure um, you go through this in the book, but where does this come from? Is it technological disruption through social media? Is it the education system? Is it parenting? Where does this illiberal streak come from? Well, it's a mix of all those things. Um, you know, there was there has been a rise of a culture of what I de- describe as uh, safetyism. This is something that, uh, that, that writers and thinkers like Jonathan Haidt, my colleague Lenore Skenazy, Greg Lukianoff, uh, have written about as well. Uh, the uh, the trend in education, in parenting norms, etc., has been greater coddling, greater protection um, to almost an unreasonable degree. Even though young people are safe, kids are safe, schools are actually very safe places. Uh, if you, you kids are safer in school than they are virtually anywhere else. Uh, but we've changed in the last 20 years to be more about protection, protection, protection in school, and protection from what? Protection also from a kind of emotional discomfort. Um, and that's what so many of the activists who, uh, who, you know, shut down people like Charles Murray or Ben Shapiro or even leftist professors. This is not just conservative professors or conservative speakers rather getting in trouble, but, but leftist professors tell me they're afraid of their students. They're afraid if they say something in the classroom that a student disagrees with, the student's going to file a harassment complaint against the professor. And it happens all the time. Uh, and it's coming from their, sense that, again, not all the students, but just a small number of young people, that the purpose of the educational environment is to is to uh, protect them from having to, not just physical safety, but, but from having to hear ideas that make them uh, upset or troubled. Uh, you also spend uh, time in your book talking about intersectionality. Now, this is a concept that's also making its way over to Australian universities now. Uh, why is this such a bad concept? Sure. So I, I think the the theory uh, is fine. Uh, it's how it's been applied. So the theory uh, came to us from sociology in the late 1980s. A sociologist named uh, Kimberly Crenshaw coined it to describe uh, intersectionality. Describes the fact that uh, a black person has has experienced, or historically black people have experienced, racism and women sexism, but how can we describe the cumulative impact of facing both those things if you're a black woman? So intersectionality was her way of talking about the fact that there are different sources of oppression and they can stack for people who have more than one marginalized, more than one category of oppression or marginalization working against them. So, I mean, you know, at its most basic, I think, yeah, that's pretty obvious. A, a, a black woman might face more oppression than just a black person or just a, or just a woman. Uh, but what happened then, uh, kind of in subsequent years, the Academy loves this idea and uh, started doing more and more scholarship research. And also uh, administrators got more involved in, well, we're going to prevent anyone from being harmed or offended for a reason of, of, of one of these sources of, of marginalization. And they added a lot more categories, or, or rather they they encouraged followers and activists to think about other categories, LGBT status, gender identity, age, disability status, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, the, so the, my issue then with kind of an intersectional framework is, so the intersectional progressive is saying, well, you're not with us, you're not good enough, you're not our ally unless you're really worked up about all of these things. Every category, you have to be upset about this, or you have to be committed to doing something about it. But that starts to get really... Uh, fringe, or you're you're gonna you're gonna end up including very few people. If you if you want to get every person, you have to have every a- potential ally on board with kind of what the most woke far left person thinks. Uh, I think you're you're limiting uh, your audience, and of course some of these are in tension with each other. Some of these haven't been worked out. You know, I, I mean, a, 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 a pro-Israel person or, or a Jewish person might have different ideas about what counts as a marginalization status than a, a Palestinian activist, and we're supposed to accept one and not the other. I mean, the, the, there's a there's a, a reduction uh, occurring. And also, it, this, you know, if, if you're, if to have the most power and authority in an activist circle, you have to be the most marginalized person, it actually encourages people to see themselves as victims, even when they aren't actually victims. People who are perfectly fine, they might say, well, I have a, I have a history of PTSD and trauma. I have mental health is my, is my victim card. And we should, you know, we, that's, that can be unhealthy to like give people a reason or incentive to see themselves in victimized terms. Uh, I think that's just very bad. Right. Now, you've talked in that answer about uh, the splintering of intersectionality and the radicalization of it. 
You talk in the book about how this might actually impact the Democrat Party's uh, influence in the election because it would shift so far to the left uh, that it actually might hurt their chances of winning the presidential election. Why is this? And do you think this is something that might be happening overseas? I'm, I certainly think it's something that might also have happened in the recent Australian election. Yeah. So here, so the the issue is again. I'm talking about you know a small number of people who are so committed to this. Activist, progressive, young people. Um, they're a minority, I think, among people even you know who are who are going to vote for Democrats. Um, but they have the loudest voices. They you know they work for magazines. Um, they they work at social media companies. They're very visible online. Uh, so they're you know they're writing articles or or starting. Uh, social media conversations or doing things to say, you know, someone like Joe Biden isn't nearly progressive or woke or intersectional, et cetera, for us. And, you know, they're going to try to stop him or, or or something, even though and it makes it sound like, you know, they speak for the Democratic Party or they speak for everyone in the Democratic coalition, when really there are tons and tons of older and moderate and even religious Democratic voters who don't share that viewpoint at all. Um, you know, somewhat what, what, uh, by the way, what Obama was so successful at doing, right, was capturing, um, the sort of young progressive activists, uh, 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 favor as well as being inspirational and, or at least acceptable to moderate, uh, uh, Democrats. There's been a, you know, there, there is no figure right now, uh, who, who is, obviously uniting these factions um that's not to say they it can't be done it certainly could be done and they could and even if they don't do it they could still be trump right it's conceivable but uh, i do think this whole the perfect is the enemy of the good is a just a dominant intellectual uh, uh strain or trend among a certain kind of progressive activist and it's just it's just utterly utterly ruinous i mean you have people ranting about how you know how bad uh, 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 people like Biden or moderate, you know, moderate Dems are no good. They're, they're derided as normies. They're too normal. Nor, you know, it, it, it might, you might as well be Trump if you don't agree with us on everything, uh, is a, which is a, a really self-defeating sentiment that I think is, is, again, I'm not not everyone on the left, but there are, there are a good number of activists who feel that way. Uh, another article you had for Reason recently, you, start, you were talking about how the Democratic Socialists of America in 2013 had an average age of 68, and it's now 33, uh, so, showing how many young people are just absolutely flocking to the cause. Uh, surely the jury has come in on socialism. So why is it becoming more and more popular? Yeah, I mean, it's something that you know everyone, or people like me, everyone who 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 uh, rightly <laughs> does not like socialism or, or, or is familiar with its history as an economic system of, of leading of, of not leading to prosperity and of, of allowing the deprivation of human rights. Um, yeah, it's coming back in a big way. It's very popular among young people. I mean, young people have a more favorable definition, of, uh, a favorable opinion of socialism than they do of capitalism. Uh, what the, the democratic socialists, this movement have done so well is they're defining socialism in broad terms as well. It's, it's about reducing economic inequality and giving you more dignity over your economic choices in life. I mean, that's given that vague definition, who could be against that, right? That sounds very very pleasing. And that's how AOC defines it. That's the kinds of things Bernie talks about. Um, they're talking about, you know, it, it, it democratizing your, uh, your, your finances or something like that. So they're not talking about it in the terms that historically socialism has been associated with is the, you know, the, the government taking control of the industries, workers seizing the means of production. And then you have a, you have a, a political regime that ends up ignoring individual rights because it needs to do that to, to, to work through these, uh, these economic related goals. Um, so, th but they are, there's no doubt about it that they are surging the democratic Socialists of America, which is a, an organization that helps elect candidates who align with democratic socialism. And by the way, you know, so they're, they're saying they're democratic, which is different than, than socialism because we're democratic socialism, but it's not, it, they have a very hard time describing exactly how that's different, um, uh, or how that would be different in practice. But anyway, they're, they're, they've. They helped elect uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is a, a very successful and powerful spokeswoman for their movement. She is, you know, very popular among young people. Um, I think the right-wing media plays into her hands. Right? They actually play up her influence, um, which I think has been frustrating 
to uh, to uh, to Speaker Pelosi and to others uh, who are like, well, she's just one person. Why is she getting so much attention? Um, but, uh, it, but it is undeniable that um, and the DSA is much more uh, organized, I would say, than other contingents of the intersectional left. Um, they're kind of more about old school political organizing. So they are something to be uh, to to watch and take very seriously. All right. Now, we're just going to talk about now one of the things we love about your work, Robbie, and one of the things that really appeals to readers in Australia is your ability to give these kind of fact-based, neutral, uh, detailed reports on social media controversies and pylons. We're going to talk about a few of them now. Uh, You obviously do that really well and also Reason more generally, which is a libertarian organisation in the United States for our listeners who might not know that. Now, first one we're going to talk about is the recent one where Ariel from The Little Mermaid has been cast as black and how this was meant to have caused some kind of genuine uh, upset at that decision, Uh, but you maybe thought that that wasn't the case. Do you want to just talk through that issue for us? Sure. Uh, So they, yeah, they cast um, an actress who's a black woman to play the role of Princess Ariel in the live-action Little Mermaid or or the equivalent. They're calling these movies live-action movies, although, you know, a a live-action movie that has computer-generated lions is not a live-action movie. Uh, Talking about the Lion King here. Uh, You're saying those lions aren't real, Robbie? uh, (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Computer-generated lions are not real. Real, It it has to be a real lion, not a singing, dancing lion. I will not budge on this issue. Um, So anyway, they cast this uh, black woman to play Ariel, and then supposedly some people were, were, were racist people, were angry about this. So, you know, Ariel is supposed to be white. How dare you erase white culture? You know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and it was trending on Twitter, not my Ariel, people being uh, really upset about this. But so I looked. Actually, everyone was, virtually everyone, was bashing the people who were saying that you shouldn't have a black woman play Ariel. There were like, a couple people, and one of them, the, the first one that went viral, um, was fake. Like, it was not a real profile. It was put together by some troll, probably, to prove exactly that you could do this. So so there was almost no one complaining about, about Black Ariel. There were hundreds of thousands of people saying, of course Ariel can be a Black person. How dare you think otherwise? And it's trending. So it's trending on Twitter. So it looks like it's trending, and it's trending because people are so mad about it, but actually it's trending because people were not mad about it. So it's a great example of how something, I guess, akin to fake news can spread, or you can get a, you can get a warped view of what's happening based on social media. Um, if for exactly, And this has happened before this happened with uh, people were supposedly mad about uh, uh, a black stormtrooper in, uh, in the new uh, Star Wars uh, trilogy, of course, almost no one actually was um and on and on and on it happens all the time so uh so that's uh you know every, if you're if you if you get all your news from social media you have to be very careful uh not you know because these are these are not necessarily things people think yeah the hashtag not my aerial i've never seen so many brave stands taken <laughs> online against absolutely no one uh, you also saw uh another one uh this week of trump supporters apparently being outraged over uh u.s women's national team soccer player kelly o'hara uh, kissing her partner, and there was absolutely like the article didn't even quote anyone that was outraged; they just assumed. Yeah, exactly. It was it was an article in an LGBT publication, and yeah, they're they're saying that oh, Trump supporters have turned on this soccer player when she was uh, for kissing her girlfriend or her partner or whoever it was, and that's the headline. But then they don't they didn't even claim there was anyone who was who was furious about this, and you know maybe there was. This is a this is a, a, a planet of seven billion or however many people. I'm sure someone somewhere was mad, but like not enough to constitute having an article about it. Uh, so it, it's exactly a, an example of that. Okay, so the big one we want to talk about, which is where you really came on our radar and a lot of people in Australia, was your account of the Covington uh, incident with the Covington kids um, uh, where it, uh, in Washington. Now, yours, your account of that, incident became the kind of um, the definitive account that all the other news agents used to uh, base their reporting off. Um, was that a big deal for you? Talk us through that one. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's certainly the most uh, well-read article um, I've written in at least the last five years, probably I've, that I've ever written. So it was. Uh, I'm I'm glad it was. Uh, you know, it was tweeted by uh, by uh, 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 
uh, Jake Tapper at CNN, it, uh, Megan McCain, who's on The View and, and who I, I know uh, is a friend of mine personally, she uh, said something about it. So I was glad it got a lot of pickup because really the, the narrative ha- was, was wrong. The initial narrative that these kids were har- harassing, it had been claimed there was a deceptive short video claiming that these kids had harassed a Native American man on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, these, these white kids wearing uh, Trump hats who were, and they were there for a political conservative cause. When I, you know, when I watched the full two hours of video, it was clear that there was a third group in the mix. There was a group of crazy um, kind of cult, it's a black nationalist cult, actually. Um, I've encountered this group before. You see them on the streets of cities like the city I'm in, D.C., and they just yell like insane hateful, vile things at everyone, at women, at women, at Jewish people, at gay people, at, at anyone who's not them. Um, and they had been harassing these boys for a long time and saying just terrible things to them. And the boys didn't really do anything uh, about it. They didn't do anything bad. They didn't start a fight with them. It was clear the, this group wanted them to start a fight, but they didn't start a fight. Eventually, they started doing kind of like high school gymnasium cheers and that's when this native american man appeared and you know either misjudged the situation or decided to exploit the situation wrongly he went after the kids he marched into them to you know acting as if they're the aggressors when well when really no one is being aggressed against and the sympathetic party here is the boys and then he talked to the media later as if they were the bad guys when they they absolutely weren't so he he's a fabulous uh, who misrepresented the situation and and no you know a, a couple of the boys I think made uh, uh, mocking gestures that they shouldn't have but the main but by and large it was not disrespectful and they, they were already cheering before he got there it was not like directed at him and the kid who was supposedly staring at him was trying to diffuse the tension it was not a hostile whatsoever so the media just completely got it wrong so then I, I wrote that article saying that they had and then many people to their credit reversed their position. The frustrating thing, actually, for me, because people people make mistakes, and you know we should allow for forgiveness. Was what frustrated me was the people in the media who said, even after you know seeing the additional context, who were like, "No, my initial impression was correct. These these boys, they're, they're bad. I, I you know maybe well they're bad. I know they're bad. Let's. What are the other reasons they could be bad? And then they started like looking up like their past issue. Well, what has this happened at this school? You know, maybe six years ago, there was a racist kid at this school. So they're bad. We were right. And that was just like looking for reasons to, to be mad at teenagers. It was crazy to me, but I, I was saddened by how much of that was going on. So give our listeners a peek behind the curtain. Do you see something flash up on the news? Do you have some, kind of this instinct? Hmm, that doesn't sound right. I'm going to get right to the bottom of it. I'm going to write, uh, watch two hours of footage and then I'm going to write the story or, or what how do you know how what sets off your instinct that something's not quite right sure i well i mean the the instincts i carry as a sort of a libertarian of just being skeptical in general um I, I think serve me well for things like that and also that i'm not i'm not on team trump but i'm also not on team anti-trump you know i disagree with tons of things trump thinks and does and and that people in his orbit think and does think and do but i but i'm not automatically against them i'm not you know part of an opposition party or something and so many in the media are either totally for trump or or they consider themselves the opposition party so when something like this comes up that's like a highly partisan political narrative i have no skin in the game so i'll just say whatever i think whoever i think ends up being right it like it doesn't matter to me which side is right uh which is which is actually a difference like a, a significant difference, I think, between those of us who think libertarian and those of us who don't. But uh, I happened to log on at the right time. I saw this was blowing up. He, everybody was talking about this. So I said, okay, I'll write something. And it had, ju- it had just emerged. It was some, someone had tweeted that, oh, there's additional video footage. So I said, well, I should watch it before I write anything. So I just, <laughs> what a novel I just concept. Happened to, <laughs> I, yeah, I know. So, I, so then I watched it, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going like, Oh man, this is this is actually really different as I'm watching it. And by the end, you know, by the time I get two hours in, I'm like, okay, well, I have some things to say. <laughs> All right, brilliant. So the Covington Kids, Little Mermaid, Kelly O'Hara, and you also famously busted the Rolling Stone sexual assault ho- sexual assault hoax article about the University of Virginia a fair few years ago. Uh, the theme here is like journalists sprinting to get a headline at the cost of good research. So is this just how journalism is now, and how do we get it back? Yeah, it's that, and it's also a willingness to just confirm things that fit your biases. 
uh, like with the, you know, with the UVA thing, so many people are like, oh, well, frat boys, well, they're terrible. And so I could see this happening. Yeah, they're bad. This is, yeah, open and shut. I mean, that was with, with the author of that story and the magazine that published it. They just, like, they didn't even think, like, well, should we do a little bit more to verify that, like, the person who did this even exists? Which he didn't, and it would have been it like it would have been very easy to, and in fact was easy once it started being questioned to like demonstrate that this definitively never happened because the person accused does not exist, and and was it was made up by the it, like in a very very deceptive fashion by the by the person telling the story. So anyway, there's a there's a willingness or, or a, a desire to confirm existing narratives, and also a a quickness that lends itself toward laziness when just like you said we're all racing to get out a headline we're tweeting before we're thinking you know we're, we're trying to address because you know twitter's not edited it's it's it, you're not if you're a writer you're a journalist your thoughts there are not being vetted by someone who might you know talk you off some cliff first um so there's a, and also it's just we are in intensely tribal partisan times trump just controls the news cycle. Uh, he is in it every second of every day, uh, in, quite intentionally has positioned the media as, uh, as his enemy. And so then the media, uh, I think many have kind of taken up that mantle. Um, and it's, so it's just, there's a, there's a need for everything that happens, everyone to put a spin on it. Like, well, how does this confirm Trump being Trump is good. How dare you? Or how does this how does this play into an anti-Trump uh, uh, narrative? I mean, like the the, the whole sort of uh, Epstein, uh, uh, the uh, the the terrible, uh, the accused, alleged um, sex offender who is who's been facing new charges. Uh, I mean, this is like a perfect example of this. He's he's like it, it immediately was like even though you know he's a sleazy person who has had associations of just with just wealthy people across the political spectrum. There was an immediate, well, how do we connect this to the Trump administration? Because that's what we have to talk about, because that's what's going on right now. All right, brilliant. Robbie Zouave, the author of Panic Attack, Young Radicals in the Age of Trump. Go out and buy the book. And thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, thank you too, Robbie Suave from Reason. All right, that was uh, a really awesome chat. Um, he's such a cool writer. Go out and follow him on Twitter. Go out and read his stuff on Reason. Uh, so I guess we'll go through some more stories at the end of the show here. And this one sort of broke today slash last night. And it is a really interesting one. So basically, a year 12 uh, exam, basically a SAC. Practice in, exam. Yeah, practice exam. So uh, basically what year 12 students are studying. And they're asked, it's, this is really weird. So they need to be asked about like... Like uh, how religious discrimination affects mental health and well-being, and a sample answer that they're given goes: an example of individual being persecuted for their religion could be the Arab families living in Israel who practice the Islam Islam religion rather than the Jewish religion, including unlawful demolition of homes and forced displacement and detainment of these families. And it claims that when a person is discriminated against, it could push a person to become more dogmatic in following their religion, possibly leading to extremism. That's now that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Like, that's in a year 12 practice exam. It's in a year 12 practice exam for uh, health and human development students. Yeah. So, PA. So, getting involved in very intricate policy area of Middle Eastern politics is now just like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I can see why they do it. Like, that's basically the idea. Yeah, teachers can just put on their PA sacks. Here's my view on Israel and Palestine. Yeah, so, I mean, there's so many issues in that. There's obviously, like... uh, anti-semitism being the problem around the world that it is but the fact that like these teachers and this teaching body can just go yeah that's fine we'll just completely put this opinion of ours as a sample answer oh and here's how you get good marks is to say this answer putting this in will get you good marks on this question Hmm. is terrifying like how how are teachers getting away with that and it's not like one crazy teachers put this in and think it's a good thing like a lot of people have seen that and then sent it out yeah exactly so i mean that's a really interesting story i mean we've all had moments of that idea where you know teachers have completely put their own political views in you so like, i do not I mean, as a teacher yeah well don't <laughs> <laughs> uh so if you've got your own and you want to share them uh i'm at james m bolt on twitter pete you're peter j gregory three i want to say Absolutely. on twitter we'll so get in touch with us give us a follow and send us a message and talk about your thing and we might talk to you on the show about it or might just read out like your story on air and we'll talk about that as well um sorry hopefully a bit lighter but pete you saw something about soba noodles at train stations well this is not lighter james this is very important oh, okay uh, sorry so also 
also, <laughs> How also, dare I? Yeah, also get back to us if you get leaked Department of Transport documents because they're always interesting. David yep. Davis, Liberal member of the Victorian uh, Parliament, last yep. week posted on his Facebook that he got these leaked Department of Transport documents that shows that the government are considering p- supplying free noodles and tempura, which is very good, to commuters. Labor is considering the Japanese model of free noodles to reduce overcrowding on trains. A bowl of soba with a piece of kakiyaji, no, I apologise if I've butchered that, uh, tempura to encourage morning passengers to stagger their commuting hours. Okay, I've got a controversial opinion for you, right. mate. Bring it, give it to me. I love this. Okay. okay. I love this. And I let me also say, I know it'll suck. Yeah. <laughs> I know the noodles will be lukewarm. I know the kakiyaki will be cold. I know that the more important thing is to make sure the trains run on time. But this is the best idea I've ever heard what? for a number of reasons. Okay. One, I like noodles and I like kakiyaki. Yeah. They could be cold and terrible. I don't care. Do you know how many crappy dim sims I've ordered from Flinders Street Station at 12 o'clock at you night? You wash your mouth out. <laughs> that is, that is, that's un-Australian. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm happy eating those. And... The sight of people eating noodles and walking at the same time is always hilarious. So the idea that I'm going to see that every morning at train stations is fantastic. Well, they're obviously completely wrong. I've been to Japan. The thing about train station food in Japan is that it's awesome. Yep. Somehow I don't think we can replicate that at, you know, parliament at 6 o'clock in the morning. If there's one person I know that's not going to be able to cook up some absolutely great (laughs) kakiyagi, it's the Victorian government and the Department of Transport. Unbelievably. I think you're right. Uh, And look, the, the Victorian government are doing a lot of this. They're seeking data from our phones to make the transport system more yeah. efficient. I put say, more trains on. So two things are different there. So, kagiyaki. I was going to say, like, when we talk about transport policy, we've got kagiyaki noodles in one hand, and yeah. then we've got monitoring where you are, and then the New South Wales government are doing like facial recognition instead of train cards. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy with the kagiyaki. The kagiyaki is innocent and right. it's pure. The kagiyaki is a front for all this other stuff they're doing. They're Speaking of the fronts, noodles. have you seen the Facebook, like, uh, sorry, this like social media trend of like you can take a photo of yourself with this thing called FaceApp and it'll that, show yeah. you getting older. Yeah, I'm up to speed with That's owned by like this Russian company. Like we, we, everyone gets outraged like how, how dare the New South Wales government know my face when I try to catch a train. Yeah. Also, hey Russia, here's what I look like. Yeah. yeah. So you can monitor me that, if anything ever comes up. That won't go wrong at all. Yeah, exactly. We traded away for free. All right. Uh, I've got another story here as I find it. So Marion Williamson oh, you is likely becoming my favorite politician, p- potentially favorite person in the world. Mm. So people might remember uh, at the Democratic um, debate. We had fun with this on the show. This immortal clip, even better set when it's set to Twin Peaks music. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field, and sir, love will win. So, Marion Williamson is an author, like guru. She's somehow found herself on the Democratic debate, and it's actually going quite well for her, Pete. Okay. <laughs> like, people were happy to laugh at that, and it was like a day's worth of memes. Uh, she's now out polling Beto O'Rourke and Cory Booker, two very serious uh, mm-hmm. people who, I mean, Beto O'Rourke nearly dethroned Ted Cruz in Texas, and now he's losing to Marion Williamson. <laughs> so, tough sell for him. So, but... Hopefully this gets even better. This is Sorry, this is in a New Hampshire poll, which is a very important poll coming up in the Democratic primaries. That's right, the New Hampshire poll. And I feel a bit ashamed because a couple of weeks ago I said, you know, she's never going to be president. Yeah. Do you know the last person they said was never going to be president? Who? Donald Trump. I was hoping you'd say that. Uh, so why can't you? I, mean, I, I feel really bad because I genuinely, like, after he couldn't get over the line with Ted Cruz and he had like 49% of the vote in Texas. I was like, oh, Beto O'Rourke is going to be the Democratic nominee. He can't beat Marion Williamson. Yeah. I'm, what do I know about politics? Look, I love her. She's an old school hippie. Uh, she's your mum's friend who makes jewellery. Yeah. She's also running for office. Teaches that was said it then and I'll say it now. And look, as we just played that speech, maybe she will beat Trump with love. Yeah, okay. Uh, Pete, you referenced earlier in the show that you want to talk a bit of Cricket World Cup. Oh, look. Cancel your three o'clock because I've got a few views on this. <laughs> so, we don't have time. <laughs> yeah, we've only got like two minutes. Don't cancel the three o'clock. Just cancel anything past three minutes for you, yeah. Pete. Or just switch off, whatever it is, yeah. No, of course, on Sunday, the World Cup final was played between two cricket minnows, England and New Zealand. Both teams have never won a World Cup. Just joking, they're not minnows. Keep listening. Um, so what happened was New Zealand had it first, made 241, pretty steady. England needed nine that runs. That's a bit low. Is that a bit low? A bit I'm not low. a huge cricket guy. It is a bit low. It's what they've been going with. They've been pretty steady. Right. You know, steady total. Don't get bowled out and then bowl well. Um, anyway, they did that. With three balls remaining, England needed nine runs. This happened. Goes again. Can he give the strike away? This is a big moment. They've got to run. They go to the other end. Oh, he gets in the way. This is going to go all the way to the boundary off the bat. Can you believe this? It has! I do not believe what I've just seen! 
Now, I'd like you to see, I'd like you to, listeners and viewers, I'd like you to hear and watch all those English fans cheering after Ben Stokes hit, uh, deflected the ball for four. Those are the same people that have been booing Stephen Smith and Dave Warner. Uh, suddenly, this is fine. So what happened was in that clip... Yeah, so what's the rule here? The rule, yeah, okay. So in cricket, if someone chucks at the stumps when you're running and it deflects off you... You can run, but the convention is you don't because it's a bit unfair. The unwritten rule. The unwritten rule. But if it goes for four, it counts. Right. And that's what happened here. And there's something. That's a six. hard throw. <laughs> Off a guy's back goes for four. He threw it from the boundary. Wow. Yeah, so it's good. Uh, and look, I play cricket, as you know, because I talk about it all the time. Yep. And I've always thought, what would I do last ball of a grand final if I deflect one? Yep. I'm running. Oh, you're running? I don't care. You are running. a man of ill principles. Mate, you just it's a no-win situation. Take the trophy and then deal with the aftermath. That's my view. Anyway. Well, I looked up to you, Pete, but now no longer. Okay. Uh, oh, there's heaps more. Oh, okay. There's more? <laughs> all right. Sweet. So I'll go get a coffee. <laughs> so anyway, that would look. And that actually should have been a five, not a six. Uh, they equaled the score. They got 241. They bowled a super over. Yep. Uh, they both got the same score in the super over, and then rather than doing another super over to, to break the tie, they just said, oh, no, there's this obscure countback rule where the number of fours you've hit in the innings makes you the World Cup winner. Yeah. That, that like, again, I'm not a cricket guy. Okay. That seems Trying to so get you stupid. one. It is stupid. It <laughs> seems like the weirdest way of deciding it. And it's it, only a super over until the death. It's like it takes another 10 minutes. We're at the, the, it's a World Cup final. Yeah, the umpire had a 7 o'clock dinner reservation. Could have well, missed. well, at our cricket, right, we have these dog people who train dogs in our oval. Oh, right. And they're thought, always like, you folks. I thought you were just saying that there's a few dogs in your cricket club. And I'm there like, are. yeah, well, leave the Dina's chat aside for a second. <laughs> Mate, don't get me started. At 7.30, off you get. We've got the oval now. Like, what? who needed wall, uh, lords? Yeah, probably like the Dogs Walkers Association of Lords. Anyway. the old time. It's just like this, like, you know, proper English judge, but like, excuse me, time. Yeah, get off. Uh, no, anyway, um, New Zealand done Lucky England are a pack of cheats. There we go. Official podcast position because I've got no opinions to the contrary. Okay, that is it for the show this week. Thank you to Boston Edwards, Robbie Suave. Uh, stick around for next week's show when we're going to be talking to a former NFL player and now a really cool writer, and we'll talk to him about his business ventures, mm. Burgess Owens. And uh, we're going to be talking to him about reparations. We're going to be talking to him about why sports has become so politicized mm -hmm. and uh, the fall of the Oakland Raiders, which is his former team. Which he won a is Super Bowl with news. them. He did win a Super Bowl with them, and they're not anywhere near to close to winning a Super Bowl again, which is good news for me because I'm a Denver Broncos fan and we're big rivals. So we get into that a little bit as well. All right. See you guys next week. See ya.